0: everyone you're listening to Ed Young Radio. Ed Pastor's Fellowship Church and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. 11 years ago, one act of betrayal almost destroyed Fellowship Church. This past Friday morning, I decided to do some paintings. I'd not really painted in years so I was thinking about betrayal and specifically, the faces of betrayal. And as I put these paintings up, I want you to sort of process this whole subject matter because maybe, just maybe, you're familiar with the faces of betrayal. Maybe, just maybe, you can see yourself on on one of those canvases, or maybe you see some emotion, or, or maybe you're looking into the eyes right now of someone who has hurt you deeply. Maybe you think about an ex-spouse, or maybe you're thinking about a parent or a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, a son, a daughter, a teacher, a coach. We've all been betrayed. He was betrayed. He was the apple of his father's eye. He was taken advantage of. He was pushed into a pit. He was bound in chains. He met a couple of common criminals. One made it, the other didn't. Because of his suffering, a nation was saved. Who am I talking about? Well, a lot of you are going, I know who you're talking about. You're talking about Joseph because we've been discussing Joseph recently around here, and you're exactly right. I'm talking about Joseph, that Old Testament figure. But I'm also talking about another man, Jesus. Because Jesus and Joseph's lives sort of intersect. There's a lot of similarities. There's some Analogies that need to be lifted off the page of scripture and downloaded into into our lives. Think about Jesus. Just for a second, think about Joseph because they were both very familiar with with people they trusted who suddenly turned on them. Betrayal happens during those decisive moments, doesn't it? Think about your life. Think, think, Think about your existence. When success happens, when you're blessed, when you're on the receiving end of the, of the favor of God, usually sniffing around that blessing is a betrayer. A betrayer comes at those crucial moments. Jesus was celebrating Passover. He, he was eating the bread and and, and drinking the wine, and everybody was having a good time in the upper room, it was the moment of truth. And Jesus knew, he said this, that his time was drawing near. Time is crucial. The only time we're assured of is, is, is right now, yet Jesus was entering the time of the salvation of the world, and that is when the betrayal occurred. Joseph was what, 17 years old? All of his abilities and talents were were, were colliding. They were intersecting, and he was preparing to do great things, and that is the time his, his brothers betrayed him. Maybe you can identify with that. It definitely comes at those crucial times. Also, betrayal comes to those here who actually trust people, because trust is the friend and the foe of betrayal. In other words, your enemies or my enemies can't betray us. Only those people who were close enough to kiss us. And Jesus was was sitting in the upper room and He looked around at, at the disciples and He said, One of you is my betrayer. And if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of of John. John chapter 13, verse 22, because the response of the disciples is so human-like. They go, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Now, you got to kind of laugh on that because the disciples are like, man, I'm you know, I betrayed him. Yeah, so have you. I remember. I saw him. You betrayed him, man. You betrayed him. J- Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And then that night in the garden, Judas ran up to Jesus, and Jesus pointed him out. Here comes my betrayer. And what did the betrayer do? The betrayer kissed him. Joseph What a story, Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, thrown in a pit, his brothers ran to his father and said that that he had died. And through a supernatural turn of events, Joseph was elevated to the number two position in Egypt. I mean, he was like the man. A famine struck and his brothers had to travel all the way to Egypt and, and, and they had to go before Joseph, they didn't recognize him to ask for food, to to, to buy some grain. And finally, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. And the Bible says that, that, that Joseph brought his brothers close. Again, they were close enough to kiss him. Then he did the reveal. He said, I'm Joseph. I'm the guy you trashed. I'm the guy you abused. I'm the guy you pushed into the pit. I'm the guy that you stole my robe from. His brothers were in shock and awe. They were like, wah, wah, because he had the power, I mean, at his fingertips to nuke him, I mean, to take him out, to, to seek that sweet revenge, yet he didn't. Isn't that true about betrayal? Isn't that true that betrayal comes at the, at the darkest time in your life? Isn't it true that when you absorb betrayal, when you Identify with the faces of betrayal. Isn't it true that, that it's so dark? It's not an accident that Jesus was betrayed at night. Yet this act of betrayal that, that, that Judas was involved in led to the salvation of the world. Because hours later, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose again, and, and now we have this light in the midst of Darkness. See this painting right here in the center? See this girl's eye? Look, look very closely because I painted a cross in her eye. No matter what you're going through, remember if you keep your eye focused on the cross, you're going through. It might be dark, and it probably is. It might be difficult. You could be lonely, whatever, bitterness, anger swirling around you. You keep your eyes on Jesus, and you'll see that light in the darkness, and it will get brighter and brighter. And Scripture says it will illuminate a path in our darkness to lead us to greatness. God, isn't this great? Our great God can and will and wants to even use those moments of betrayal in our lives, the darkness in our lives, to take us to a new level of living. I think it's interesting to notice something else about betrayal as we see the analogies between the life of Joseph and Jesus. Betrayal doesn't necessarily need to end that relationship. Now, sometimes it does. Sometimes when someone betrays you, the relationship is over, and I understand that. And so do you. Yet, if you look at the life of Jesus, you, you, you read, for example, Judas. And anytime Judas is mentioned in the New Testament, it says Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Judas, the betrayer. The betrayer, Judas. The other disciples, what did they do at Christ's deepest point of need? Man, they bolted. I guess you could say they betrayed Jesus too, didn't they? When you read about Thomas, you read about Simon Peter, you read about John, it doesn't say the betrayer John, the betrayer Simon Peter, the betrayer Thomas. It didn't say that. Why? Because... The other 11 turned back to Jesus. They came back. Joseph. Man, this guy had some crazy forgiveness, didn't he? His brothers, when they they saw the reveal, when they saw they were locking eyes with the guy they had betrayed, they expected to be wiped out. Joseph, though, had forgiven them Preemptive forgiveness. He had released them because unforgiveness can undermine your life. Jesus said this in Luke 23 34 as he was suspended between heaven and earth on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, You intended to harm me. He's talking to his brothers. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many, many people. Several years ago, I was filling my car up with gas. I saw a guy walking a Doberman. I saw him walk the Doberman across a busy intersection, across the parking lot. I watched him tie up the Doberman to a park bench outside the convenience store. I watched him walk in to get something to drink. The Doberman was startled. He ran toward the traffic. He had such torque, he jerked the entire park bench up by its support, was dragging this bench across the area that led to the busy freeway. Sparks were flying, and I was going, oh, man, I'm going to see a horrible accident. This dog's going to get killed. I'm going to see a wreck. And I was watching, and this Doberman dodged the cars. These cars were stopping, and I watched him weave in and out of the cars while dragging this park bench. He was slinging it to the left and to the right. He whacked two cars, just, just messed them up. People began to scream and squall, Ah, get the dog, get the dog. His master from the convenience store heard the commotion, ran outside, saw what was happening, chased the dog down, grabbed the leash, unleashed the leash from the park bench, and led the dog to safety. Bark with me, one, two, three. That was good. We're a lot like that Doberman. Don't act like you're not. What do we do? We're leashed up to unforgiveness. We're dragging this bench around, it's going back and forth. Who is sitting on your park bench? Someone way back there in the past. Someone who messed you around in school. Someone who dropped that comment at the office. A family member. A spouse. Maybe the person's dead and you're still just slinging them around on your park bench. Who is that? Because the collateral damage is colossal. When we're leashed up to unforgiveness, Jesus is like that dog's master. He is chasing you down and chasing me down. We can't outrun him. He's too quick. He loves us too much. He's too fast. He's on us. And if we allow him, he'll unleash unforgiveness because unleashing unforgiveness is Unbelievable. Let me talk to the believers here. If, if you're a believer, you know what that means? It simply means you've been reconciled to God through Christ and you have received that. You don't deserve that, nor do I. You have received that because right before Jesus died, he said, it is Finished. The deal has been done, the work of forgiveness has, has, has been secured, the price has been paid. We either receive that or we don't. If we've received it, the New Testament writer said, we've received and we have the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, because I've been reconciled to God through Christ, watch this now, I should quickly forgive others. That's right. All I got to do is look at the cross and keep my eyes on the cross and I should quickly forgive my spouse, quickly forgive my kids, quickly forgive my coworkers, quickly forgive the teacher, quickly forgive the police officer, quickly forgive whatever, whenever, whoever, because I've been reconciled to God through Christ. But here's what's so interesting about it. You'll rarely feel like it I hope you know that. Don't even sit there and think you'll feel like forgiving your spouse <laughs> or the teacher or your friend or your coworker, or the person who lied about you or the person who betrayed you or the person who stabbed you in the back or the person who took advantage of you or the person who abused you or the person who shared that confidential information. You're not going to feel like it. And our whole culture says, oh, if you feel it, it's real. Wait to feel it. Well, man, I I would wait my entire life, and I would never feel like forgiving the people who hurt me. You're not going to feel it, baby. Man, you're not going to feel it. you got to do it. Because nowhere in Scripture, and I've written an entire book on this, but nowhere in Scripture are you going to see that God wants us to be happy. Happy and peppy and bursting with love. It's not in Scripture. And if I hear that again from someone, you know, God just wants me to be happy. No, He doesn't. You know what God wants? God wants something deeper than that. God wants us to be obedient. When we're obedient, what's going to follow obedience? What's on the heels of obedience? Outrageous, contagious, Joy, And that's simply happiness on steroids. That's what it is. (laughs) But if you wait to feel like, okay, I'm going to release them, uh, you're not going to do it. We do it, then the joy will occur. Then we'll have the freedom. Well, man, what if the person doesn't receive the forgiveness? You know what? That's between them and God but we're called to release. Joseph did that, and even through betrayal, what happened? An entire nation was saved. Jesus did that, ultimately, imperfectly on the cross. He rose again, and because of that, our salvation is secured. This is amazing, amazing stuff, betrayal. The beautiful side, of betrayal. God can use even betrayal to take all of us to a new level of living if we focus on Jesus. Well, let's fast forward the clock several thousand years ahead from Joseph and, and, and Jesus because 11 years ago at Fellowship Church, one act of betrayal almost destroyed what God was doing. I've never shared this story publicly. I've shared it to just a couple of people in a couple of confidential situations, yet I really felt a leading when I began to prepare for this series to tell you about this situation. So, so please understand and, and hear my heart when I, when I share this with you. Fellowship Church began 17 years ago in a small office complex with about 150 people. That's when it officially Started And we were like this nomadic church. You know, we moved from rented facilities to other rented facilities. We met in a theater. We met in an arts complex. We met in a high school and and our offices. Everything was leased. Everything was rented. Some young families began to join Fellowship Church. And when we hit about 250 people, there was this young couple that really caught the eye of so many of us because they were energetic and positive and serving and helping and we, we, we watched this guy just do some great things at Fellowship Church for years and years. And one day, he came to me and said, you know, Ed, I, I really feel a leading to go into ministry. We talked about it. We prayed about it. And we brought this guy on staff. At the time, our staff was very small. The Resolution Trust Corporation was, was dumping a lot of real estate we heard about this monstrous track in Grapevine and in Capel. We heard about this track of land where the Tarrant County line and Dallas County line actually split the property, and, and we couldn't afford it, but we began to bid for this land, and some of you real estate people know what I'm talking about, and it was a sealed bid type scenario. The government chose us, so we had the opportunity to put a down payment on the land, the land cost like $2.5 million and we put a down payment down, we barely had enough money to do it, we owed 1.875 million on 160 acres. A year later, without any marketing, without a sign on the property, we sold 22 of the 160 for 1.875 million. Now, don't even sit there and tell me that God is not in the real estate business. I hope you're not even entertaining that thought. So all of a sudden, we own this land, free and clear, so we begin to build. We begin to talk about designing, and and so we meet with architects and and, and contractors and things, and, and our church was growing so much, we thought, okay, we need to build a worship center that seats over 4,000 people. And we need to build these these, these big children's ministries. But there was one problem. We couldn't afford it. So talking to our our board, and at the time, we had just some great people on our board. A guy who was an Ivy League graduate, another person that owned numerous hotels and businesses, another one who had a law firm. So, so we were having all these consultants of people in who built all over the world. And, and we were talking about it, and, and we decided, okay, let's ratchet everything back to kind of a smaller building. So this building was 2,800 people, and then the children's building was a smaller building. And we're preparing to build, and everybody's excited, and we're like, yeah, let's go for it, let's do it. And everything was projected And this this guy, that I've been describing to you, that everyone trusted, who who was so kind, who was was such a a phenomenal Christian, came into my office in in just the embryonic stages of building, he, he he was weeping. And he showed me a letter, he said, Ed, you won't believe this. A relative in my family who loves Fellowship Church, a very wealthy man who lives in Fort Worth, has just given us a multi-million dollar gift. He showed me the letter and the wire transfer. I was like, unbelievable, (laughs) multi-millions. I started crying, Uh, our staff, we were celebrating. Everybody was high-fiving on the board of directors. It was just a yay God moment. Now, all of a sudden, we have this we have this surplus. We can now go for the big kahuna. Forget 2,800 seats, let's go to 4,000. Forget small children's facilities, let's just go for the big one. So that is what we began to do right here. We just blew this thing up to over 4,000 seats. So, we start the building. Now let me, let me stop for a second because this always surprises people. I think sometimes people think that Fellowship Church is like this rich church. Like we have you know, some fat cats you know, throwing some major cheddar our way like millions of dollars. Sorry to rain on your parade. You know, in the history of Fellowship Church, let me see. We've been going on for 17 years. We've only had one person give a gift over a million dollars, and that was over two years. That's the biggest gift we've ever had. And whenever I share that to leaders, they're like, you mean you live in the land of multi-squillionaire Dallas Fort Worth, and you've never had anybody give more than a million dollars? No. If you want to, I'll be down front after this service. So anyway, anyway. So we start building, and, and, and everything's going great. But, but suddenly the gladness turned to sadness because Lisa's father died suddenly of a heart condition during all of this. So our family flew to Columbia, South Carolina. I had to do the funeral, which was the hardest speaking assignment I've ever had in my life. We were standing in the funeral home, and someone brought in this humongous arrangement of flowers. I mean, the person could barely walk. They put the arrangement down, and and we were like, who in the world would give something this big? And I opened the envelope, and sure enough, it was from this multimillion-dollar donor who wanted to remain anonymous. You see, that that was the thing. He didn't want anyone to know that he had given this multimillion-dollar gift except for me and a few staff members and some board members. So, you know, I, I didn't advertise that. We don't advertise what, what, what people donate to Fellowship Church. We're not that. We don't put people's names in lights like, hey, you gave this and you gave that. We don't do that. So a great note from this donor said, Ed and Lisa, we are praying for your family. We love you so much. God has blessed us in so many ways, and we're just continuing to think about the great things that God's gonna do. Thank you for allowing us to donate to your ministry and it meant so much to us. I mean, for this, for this multi-million dollar donor, to, to, to take the time to be that sensitive to do that? Phenomenal, phenomenal. After the funeral, we uh, came back home. Now, that summer was Lisa's parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And we planned to get together in, I think it was Panama City. We'd rented several condos. The whole family, you know, to celebrate the 50-year anniversary. And obviously, because her father died, we didn't do that. So, so this guy on our staff came to Lisa and I after we returned from the funeral and goes, you know, my father has an awesome beach house on the Texas coast and, and he, he knows what has happened because I've told him and, and, and he just wants you guys to use it. So take your mom down there and your family can come in from South Carolina and you guys just use it. And we were like, well, man, we got a lot of people. I mean, is this house big enough? He said, oh, yeah. He sent Lisa and I the floor plans and the whole nine. So we're getting ready to drive down to Galveston. Man, we, we have the Suburban packed full of groceries and everything is ready. And right before we left on the trip, we get a call from this, this staff member who says, i got some bad news for you. A maid left the water running on the second floor and flooded the entire house. It's like, wow, okay. So we changed the arrangements and everybody came out here and just hung out with us. And it was, a, it was a very, very interesting, interesting summer. I found myself a little while later at our beach retreat. I do a lot of speaking there with our students and I took my family down there and, and I was getting ready to speak like five times over the next several days and I woke up early one morning and began to, to pray and just think about what I was going to talk about that night. And all of a sudden, I felt this, this wave come over me. This, 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 I know it was the Holy Spirit of God, this, this, this wave that, that things were not right. I, I began just to think about this, this staff member who was very involved with the construction and with the financial area of our church, and I began to just have some serious questions and doubts. And, and it seemed so, so weird because I totally trusted him. I mean, with everything. So I shared this with, with Lisa and another staff member who was down there, and they, they kind of began to confirm what I was but I was thinking, so I picked the phone up, and I felt weird doing this. I called this guy, and I said, uh, hey, I know you might think this is crazy. You know, we've just expanded the worship center from 2,800 to 4,000. We're building that. We're getting ready to break ground on this humongous children's facility. But before we break ground on the big monster children's facilities, show me the money. I want to see, I know I've seen the wire transfer, I've seen the letter, but I want to see the account. We need to talk to our bankers and make sure the multi-millions are in the bank. I was on this phone call with this gentleman for over eight hours that day. He He couldn't come up with the account or the money. We called our legal counsel in, our board members, and finally I said, you know what, it's late. Tomorrow we're gonna go down to the bank, I'll fly in and we're gonna meet with our bankers because this guy kept telling me I would never lie. The money's in the account. I swear to you, my relative has given it to Fellowship Church. I would never lie, I swear to you, I would never do anything to hurt the church. Early the next morning, I received the most devastating and brutal phone call I've ever received. It was the staff member that that, that so many trusted, he said, Ed, I lied about the money. I made the donor up. I lied about the beach house. None of it is true. My head was spinning. I felt a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. Here, our, at the time, our small church, was putting everything on the table to build a building of epic proportions. Our board was together, our staff was together, our church was together. And I was talking to a betrayer, evil incarnate. And I found myself saying, you know, um, thank you for being honest with me. And I found myself saying, we want to help you because you are sick. And then I said, I forgive you. And hung up the phone. I've never seen this guy or talked to him since. And here's what is so wacky about it. Our accountants came in the next day, and we worked with one of the major accounting firms around. Not one dime was missing. I still cannot explain to you the what's and the why's and the how's of this whole situation, but but you know what? I do know the devil was trying to take down Fellowship Church. And, And I looked at Lisa, and I said, Lisa, this is it, man all the work, all the prayers, all of the sacrifices down the tubes because of a betrayer. And you know what my wife said? She said, honey, God has called us to build his church. And if it doesn't happen here, we'll start over and do it again. I'm so thankful I'm married, a ladder, and not (laughs) an adder, aren't you? (laughs) What? Great words. So here we are, man, we're in a tight situation. We're in a difficult situation. Now we owe millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars that we don't have. We don't have any, you know, multi-squillionaire people just dropping millions on us. What do we do? Well, 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 this building had to go on. 4,300 seats. Our children's building, we put the brakes on. And some of you have been here for a long time. Remember, when we moved in to this building in 19, I believe, 98, the children's facilities weren't even done. We had to have the children meeting outside for several months because of betrayal. The reason today we have the modular buildings out there for our preschool is because of betrayal. betrayal. But here's what I've learned. You don't betray God's church. You don't mess around with God's church. You don't trash God's church. You're not disloyal to God's church. God is always gonna construct his church. That's why Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So even in the darkest hour, even when it seemed like curtains for Fellowship Church, thousands and thousands of people began to attend. They began to join. I'm talking about average, everyday meat and potatoes type people began to bring their money and their offerings, and we ended up paying after several years for this facility. So what Satan wanted to tear apart, what this guy meant for harm, God used it for good. Think about this. What if we'd only built 2,800 seats? A lot of you wouldn't even be saved. A lot of you wouldn't even be here. A lot of your marriages wouldn't be intact and families would not be focused and single adults would not have direction if we'd only built 2,800 seats. So for what this guy meant for harm, God's used for good. Think about what has happened because of this act of betrayal. Think about the thousands and thousands who've met Jesus Christ. We're doing five services here. We have a campus in South Florida. We have a campus downtown. We have a campus in Plano. We have a campus in Fort Worth. We've helped build a church in Masao, Brazil. We're sending them over $300,000 to help the impoverished in the neighboring areas. Our television ministry goes around the world. Just the other day, I ran into a guy who's a rugby star for the South African team, and he said his team watches our show every single week. I think about the camp we're constructing right now, so again, what Satan wanted to destroy, what Satan wanted to totally tear apart, God has used it for greatness. But you know, to this day, I mean, I'll just tell you about myself. To this day, I still don't trust people like I used to. I mean, I wish I could tell you that I did, but I don't. And I still find myself kind of doing like this because that act of betrayal hurt me, my family, the staff, and our board of directors so deeply. I've never seen anyone lie as great as this guy. Never, ever, ever. But even though I I don't feel like it because I wanted to take the guy out behind the church and beat the fool out of him, that's what I wanted to do. (laughs) That's what I wanted to do. I've released him. And and many times when I start thinking about it because it's very emotional just for me to share this story, I have to remind myself, you know what? I've released him. I've released him. I've forgiven him. I don't like him but I've released him. I've released him and I, and I pray for him. So it's, it's just staggering to think about the beautiful side of betrayal. One act of betrayal in Joseph's life led to the salvation of a nation. One act of betrayal and Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again and we have salvation. And one act of betrayal has built has helped build this phenomenal church. So notice, once again, the faces of betrayal. Do you see yourself in any of those expressions? I pray that you have your eye on Jesus, because no matter what you're going through, by his grace and power, remember, you're going through. No matter if you feel like you're about to break down, you keep your eyes focused on him, and he will break you out to a whole new level of living. Betrayal. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Betrayal. It's the story of the life of Joseph, of Jesus, and at this great church as well. Thank you for listening and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional.